Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob, hanging out, talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much. Just went to my second of three ball games this week down at the Jake and uh, hoping to get to another one, see the White Sox later on this week. I'm going to the Blue Jays game. Saw the Red Sox today, saw the Angels over the weekend, got Bob Feller bobblehead, so it's it's going to be a big baseball week. I'm going to soak in this home stand, so it should be fun. Yeah, it's sweet. I'm really jealous that you're going down to the Jake all those times to see some games. It's been a while since I've been to a game. It was probably Brohio. Bros for Brohio, you and I, when we went to the uh, right before you moved down to Nashville. I think that probably was your last game. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, Bro Ohio, what a what a time. I know, man. There was the mayor of Bro Ohio, there was Nick Swisher. Times have changed, man. Times have changed. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> well, uh we are definitely in the thick of a uh baseball taking precedence that's going to be our, our topic uh for, for a lot of these a lot of these episodes here here in august uh not a lot lot else going on in the world of cleveland sports um and they certainly are leading with with the headlines um you know michael brantley struggling to come back from soldier sur- sh- shoulder surgery uh over the off season um has had a couple rehab stints you know started you know was able to play opening day uh, got sent back down, put on the DL, did a rehab, got put on the DL again uh, after that rehab not going so well. Finally shut down with a uh, sh- season-ending sh- shoulder surgery. Um, you know, there's always that hope in, in the back of, of our minds that, you know, the Tribe offense could uh, piece something together and just imagine what they could do when Michael Brantley, their best purest hitter, gets inserted into that lineup. Um, now that's not an option at all. Um, Chris, what 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 are you making of the news that, that Brantley's not gearing up for, for a return to the Tribe at, at all in, in during this season? This is not a surprise to me. Unlike most, and I've said it many times on this podcast, uh, that I had always been worried that Michael Brantley would not play another game for the Indians, even when he came back. <clears throat> Excuse me. And did this second rehab stint. Once he had the setback there, obviously that was the final nail. But for me, he came back in in, in late April, May, and looked okay, but then had the setback. When he had that, I said, you know what? I don't think it's in the cards for him this year. I, I just had the feeling that eventually it was just not going to be happening. I, I just thought the injury would be too much. So So this doesn't shock me. As it might some. And I, and I think as the time went on, I don't think anyone's shocked by this now. I think a few months ago, people might be a little shocked because I think, like you said, a lot of people were holding out that hope. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a concern. I think it's a more long-term concern than an immediate concern because I think the Indians have rebounded and adjusted brilliantly without him. I mean, guys have stepped up big time all over the board. Namely, Jose Ramirez and Tyler Naquin. Those two guys have just been fantastic in filling the void 
that Michael Brantley creates. And oh, by the way, Francisco Lindor has taken his bat to the next level as well. Santana has stepped up. Mike Napoli has been a godsend. So a lot of guys have stepped up. And so I don't think this version of the tribe needs Michael Brantley. Where I worry is beyond this year because as you said Michael Brantley going into this year was their biggest purest bat Francisco Lindor maybe is taking that title from him a little bit but that's a debate for another podcast Brantley long term you know what you're getting out of him he's a consistent force he's been doing it for a while some of these guys this is their first year doing this so I'm wondering if there's going to be a step back if it's for real if this is a outlier year or a sign of things to come Michael Brantley, I knew, wasn't an outlier. I knew he was going to bat well, hit well, drive in runs, and produce, and he's a good glove in left field. Um, That's what I'm more worried about right now. This year, I don't think the Indians needed Michael Brantley to make a run. It's the future that I'm more worried about than 2016. Yeah, you definitely have to look at this in the long term. I mean, this is uh, an injury that he just hasn't been able to shake over the last year i mean he underwent off-season uh shoulder surgery after uh trying to rehab it in october didn't didn't work out um you know he's gone uh, under some procedures some injections some some procedures to get rid of the scar tissue over that course of, of rehabbing the surgery now he's going back under the knife for the very same issue so when that happens with a guy who will be 30 next year i mean you have to be concerned with with where he's going in his career um, they definitely miss his bat. I mean, yes, they, they've been able to have great success this year without him, but over the past two years, an average of 319 batting average, 18 home runs, 90 RBIs, and 45 doubles, all the while walking more times than he struck out. I mean, that's a, a number three hitter right there, uh, your ideal guide to just anchor the offense and to be reliable. You know, obviously not going to – be, be Mike Napoli with the home runs but a, a guy who's going to get on base who who's just a cog in there and I think that they are definitely missing a, a, a bat like that and, and I know Lindor I know Naquin they've all stepped up greatly um, they just aren't at that Michael Brantley level yet or at what the level that Brantley was at over the past uh, few th- years so uh, you know I can only imagine what it would this team would be like if you know Brantley was able to come back from that rehab surgery and, and reclaim the player that he was just just last year. I slightly disagree. I do think that Jose Ramirez has stepped up big. I mean, you look at this: thirty doubles, fifty-one RBIs, uh, three fourteen batting average, uh, eight home runs. Those are similar numbers to Michael Brantley. I mean, you said he had about forty-five doubles and ninety plus RBIs. So Ramirez might not be there in the RBI sense, but um, I definitely think now that they've realized that Ramirez is an important bat, they're putting him in a position to drive in more runs. So I think he will be key down the stretch. Um, and I like that you mentioned his doubles because, you know, everyone gets so obsessed with home runs. And, and Brantley would flirt with 20 home runs, but he was never like a superpower guy. But it's those doubles, man, those, those 45 doubles. And you, you see it leading to a 90-plus RBI season. The, the fact of the matter is, the guy could rake. He was a high average hitter who could rake. And I think Jose Ramirez has filled that void 
pretty well this year. Now, time will tell whether Jose Ramirez is for real because you look at his uh, career 270 average. Last year, he was only hitting 219. The year before that, 262. Uh, you know, he's at a career high for doubles. I mean, 30, that's more than double what his previous high was of 14. So time will tell and see if Jose Ramirez is for real. But I definitely think he has stepped up and, and filled his void offensively, Michael Brantley's, that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, long term, this is a huge problem because he's 30 years old. He can't shake this injury. And so he's at the age where he would probably start to decline a little bit anyway. So that definitely gives me some pause in will this be a consistent problem? And if it is... Um, is he going to turn into a guy like Travis Hafner, who in 2006 was fantastic? I mean, I, I, I'm not saying they're the same player, but I'm saying that Hafner started getting injuries that were dogging him, and it he was never the same player. That's all I'm saying. No, for sure. Definitely understandable, and uh, you know that is the chief concern for sure with him and his long-term health. You know, those 45 doubles last year led the MLB, so... Um, that's just the kind of production that the tribe is missing with, with him out uh, for the rest of the year. You know, they didn't add that, that big bat that, that we kind of thought they were going to get with Jonathan LaCroix. But when that deal went south, you know, most people were like, well, Brantley's still coming back and they'll get a boost from that. Um, not anymore. They're going to have to ride solo. So it'll be interesting to see um, how that works out. Um, one guy who will not be available to supplement that outfield should the Indians make the postseason and they are projecting to still do that would be uh, Almonte, which I thought that that was kind of interesting that, you know, due to that PED suspension, uh, you brought up that he is still ineligible for postseason play this year. Yeah, the PED suspension also comes with the tag that anyone suspended that year is ineligible for the postseason. So Abraham Almonte won't be able to fill the void. And you can obviously understand why they traded for Brandon Geyer now. Because clearly the Indians knew that this injury was not where they wanted it to be around the trade deadline. Now, I don't know if they thought he was, you know, completely headed for the knife just yet. But certainly they knew the warning signs better than anyone else. And so trading for Brandon Geyer to me was a bit of a signal that, okay, maybe Brantley's waiting in the wings. But but if they're trading for an outfielder that's a sign to me that they're not 100% confident. They bring back Michael Martinez, who can really play any position. Uh, I think he subbed in at shortstop and second base in the last few days, and he can play outfield. So they're clearly trying to solidify their depth in the outfield because they're not going to have El Monte, and now they're not going to have Brantley. But again, Tyler Naquin, Rajay Davis, Naquin has stepped up on track, making a Rookie of the Year campaign clear case for rookie of the year I think it's him and Michael Fulmer uh, that's going to be the race down the stretch and then Rajay Davis kind of having a renaissance with Cleveland a savvy veteran super speed guy the Indians have a lot of speed as the Angels found out over the weekend a lot of guys who can run the bases very well so I like that about them but again I I think the Michael Brantley injury is more of a long-term concern for me than an immediate term because I just think this team the moves they were making to add depth to the outfield they knew that they weren't going to count on Michael Brantley to come save them they had to solidify the depth there yeah definitely I I I certainly agree yeah uh, kind of surprisingly that the Indians are one of the fastest teams in the league 
American League leading 95 stolen bases. There are three teams that are ahead of them in the NL. Um, the, the the closest American League team behind them is, uh, you know, about eight stolen bases behind, or no, excuse me, 12 stolen bases behind. So, um, yeah, very, very sneaky on the base paths. Obviously, Rajay Davis accounts for over 30 of those, but, you know, they have Jose Ramirez, Fra- uh, Francisco Lindor, and Jason Kipnis all in double digits, all potentially uh, reaching 20 stolen bases uh, at the end of this year. So, yeah, that that's definitely playing in the part of it. And I, I forgot to mention Jose Ramirez is, is working on his own hitting streak uh, of his own right, 18 games and, and counting. So, yeah, he's definitely been a boon for, for the Indians and a surprise uh, contributor for sure. And how refreshing was it last week to go 5-1 and one and really just put the hammer down on the Angels? You split with Washington, a, a great team that's a World Series contender in the NL, and then you get the awful Angels at home, and you just take it to them. I, I, I like that because after what happened with the Twins and the Yankees the week before, the Indians really needed to show they could take care of business against a mediocre team, and they did just that, a four-game sweep. Bob, I think last week was huge for Cleveland to really shake the memory of that week before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's a common story with, with this team. You know, one ho-hum week followed by a, a fantastic week. They've always found a way to bounce back, and, you know, that, that continued with this week. Um, I, I think people are getting more... The more times the tribe dips, I think the more worried people are that you know this is the finally the one that breaks their back. But every time they, they bounce back with some resiliency and, and have a great week, so it was very refreshing and very relieving for me to see them bounce back and, and have uh, a really good week, especially with that uh, whooping that they put on the Angels for sure. Yeah, and. Of course, I mean, people are naturally going to get nervous. I'm on pins and needles now, Bob, because we're into August. We're in contention here, man. Five games up on the division entering Monday. The loss to the Red Sox may switch that depending on what else happens. But the point is, when you're in contention, man, every little losing streak, every series you lose just gets magnified so much because we're at the point where it truly is every game counts. I mean, you know, it's hard to see tangible it's hard to feel it in April and May when there's just so much baseball left. It's like, okay, we're up five games, that's good, but there's so much baseball left. Now there's not. There's only about a month and a half left, and you got seven out of the last 16 against Detroit. You know the Tigers aren't going anywhere. They're still going to be lurking, and you know that 1-11 record versus the Tribe is just getting them all revved up to try to take this division from us so yeah this is going to be a very intense six weeks but I wouldn't have it any other way I'd rather have my team in contention playing for it than the total opposite like the twins and the angels where they've already given up it's over for them it was absolutely refreshing to see um more good news as well Danny Salazar set to uh probably make a a start later in the week they're saying potentially Thursday um he's definitely tracking back to to make a start uh, by the end of the week though so that's that's great that that rotation is getting solidified again I was holding out hope that he'd pitch Friday because I knew his activation date was this week and that Clevenger's spot in the rotation was Friday so I kind of circled that Toronto game to try and go to to maybe see him pitch but it looks like it's going to be Thursday hey I don't care either way because at the end of the day getting this rotation back to full strength is all that matters but 
Tip of the hat to Mike Clevenger. Pitched fantastic on Saturday. Took a no-hitter into the sixth, Bob. Now, we knew he wasn't going to get it because he was at around 100 pitches, but um, he did very well. He gave up one hit, I think four walks left, and Otero got got out of the damage, and then uh, the, the Tribe held on to win against the Angels. So very good job by Mike Clevenger holding down the uh, Salazar spot in the rotation. Yeah, for, for sure, and it'll be nice to – to see him get called back up in September and possibly make some spot starts and, and be that, that fallback uh, should a, another guy go down. It's it's nice reassurance to, to have that option for sure. All right, Bob, we got some news down on the farm, man. We got some guys doing things in the minor leagues that are definitely worth mentioning. You know, right now, I'll bet a lot of people are glad Lucroy vetoed that trade because Francisco Magica, and I, excuse me if I said that name wrong, 50 game hit streak with Lynchburg it almost ended at 49 but the scorekeeper overturned an error that gave him his 50th straight hit and then it finally ended on Sunday Bob that is just unbelievable what a fantastic run by uh this young guy down in uh high a yeah for sure and and remember this is the guy that uh was the the key piece for for the Jonathan LaCroix deal and uh, I guess even when that deal is going through, he's probably working on what, like a 30 game hit streak. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when, you know, we're just talking 15 days ago at the trade deadline. So he was working on that hit streak at the time, uh, is one of the top 100 prospects in, uh, all of MLB. So it's great to see that happening. The fourth longest streak in minor league baseball history. And only Joe DiMaggio has ever hit, uh, had a hitting streak over 50 in the major league. So, if you consider majors and minors, it's the fifth longest streak overall, which is super impressive. And, and I mean, 50 straight games in, in any level, I mean, that's that's really cool to see. Yeah, 50 straight games at any level is awesome. Um, I get a little queasy when people try to compare it to the majors. I understand why, because, you know, DiMaggio is the only one to do it in the majors, but he did it in the majors. Uh, you know, Class A, still not the majors. But I'm not trying to minimize this accomplishment in any way. It is exceptionally impressive. As you said, only the fourth longest yeah. streak in minor league history. That is an accomplishment in and of itself. So, well, hey, right now I'm really glad he's still on our farm system. For sure. And if you look at the, the top five hitting streaks in minor league history, uh, you got 1919, 1933. That, by the way, is Joe DiMaggio with 61 <laughs> games in the minor league. So, I mean, he was fantastic, obviously. And then 1954, 2016, and 1922. So, Francisco Meja is, is definitely doing something that nobody really does in the minor leagues anymore, which is have a consistent season and, and racking up those hits. So, it's certainly impressive and is great news for, for, for the tribe. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I'm not trying to minimize his accomplishment in any way. Great job by Mahata just to 50 games in a row, man. 50 hits in a row. That's just, it's awesome. And like I said, I'm glad he's uh, still in our farm system. And, uh, you know, given the current state of our catchers, uh, might not be too long before he's up yeah. in the major <laughs> a couple years now. You know, I mean, our, our catchers have not been hitting very well. Um, Jan Gomes, I think, was better than this year, but I wonder if that injury he suffered last year is going to haunt him for the rest of his career because ever since he got hurt last year, he struggled at the plate. So um, had to keep an eye on that. But, hey, it's good to see that the pipeline is developing the future. Um, but a guy who was up with the team last year, Giovanni Urshela, 
had a 21-game hit streak from July 16th until August 9th with Columbus. Uh, that is the uh, Class AAA, um, so right below the majors there. Uh, Yoshella, he is a player I really liked, Bob, and a uh, little disappointed to see him not make the roster. I understood why, and I still understand why, because Jose Ramirez is awesome. But, man, Yoshella is a guy I think is just like the next guy in line to get a spot um, when, a, when a roster spot comes open, um, I, I think at least. I think he's a really good ball player. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, he's definitely in line for a, a September call-up at least. Um, it is more known for his glove, but at, we, he showed at times last year and with this hit streak that he does have a bat and, and can be a viable option offensively. So it'll be nice to see him come up eventually and, and contribute, uh, especially since he, him and Lindor were such a good combination last year on, on the left side of the field. Yeah, and he is on the 40-man roster, so he will be up on uh, September 1st. So it'll be good to see if he can uh, make an impression to go into 2017 strong. Um, and, and he has such a good glove that he can play multiple positions. Um, I don't know if he can play the outfield. I think he's just an infielder, though. I don't know how much outfield he plays. Yeah, I mean, third base still isn't really solidified on, on the on the Tribe roster, so I think he, his worth is definitely still there at third base, so that's good. Bradley Zimmer had a scare. That's our top prospect now that uh, after the trade deadline, we uh, gutted a few. But uh, Bradley Zimmer injured his hand while bunting a few days ago. But it doesn't look serious. It came out that he just bruised his finger. So probably something that he'll just get some rest in and be back in action soon. But Bob, man, that almost gave me a heart attack when I saw that headline. Yeah, you wonder why... Um nobody knows how to bunt by the time they get to the MLB it's for reasons like this you know you don't want to be the guy that broke Bradley Zimmer's hands because you told him to bunt Um, he's a really good hitter Uh, he's going to be a hitter in the MLB Um, why are you having him bunt in triple a is what is what people would ask should he get injured I understand like they should totally learn that stuff and and be good at it but that's just why Um, (laughs) some guys don't know how to bunt um, he, he's having a really good call up to triple a I mean only 14 games in but hitting over 300 uh, a couple stolen bases and a home run so uh, lessened the 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 uh, sting of giving up Clint Frazier having a guy like Bradley Zimmer it's really good to see that he his season isn't derailed with an injury yeah depending on what you look at he's a top 20 prospect most rankings have him minimum in the top 30 or top 25 uh so Zimmer definitely even though he's an outfielder there's a bit of a log jam up there some of these outfielders we got on the roster might not be with the tribe long term so Zimmer if he keeps producing will definitely have a spot and man Zimmer if this guy pans out you got Naquin as well I mean Naquin has just been awesome this year it's refreshing to get excited about some of these prospects, Bob. I can't remember the pipeline producing so much uh, in, 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 a, in a short span. You know, I mean, Salazar yeah. came up a few years back. Last year was Lindor. Now it's Naquin. I mean, it, it's, it's exciting to see them produce uh, from the minors. Yeah, for sure. And it's not just, um, you know, the pipeline because the Indians have always relied on their farm system, but most of the guys that they've relied on were gain through trades and you know players to be named later they're actually drafting well for once which is really nice to see you know Frazier Lindor uh Naquin and Zimmer all first round draft picks over the last six years and they're all extremely valuable you know Naquin and Lindor proving their worth in the MLB uh Frazier proving his worth as being worth Andrew Miller and, and Zimmer 
almost ready to make it to the MLB. So it's really good to see that those high first round draft picks are actually panning out because um, from about 2000 to 2010, the Indians had really nothing to show with those first round draft picks, save for, I think, CC Sabathia. But he was a little yeah, further I, back. I think there was a stat there that like Jeremy Sowers was their most successful draft pick during that span. Like I, I mean, yeah. not count. I mean, Sabathio came up in two thousand one, so we would have had a draft pick before that, and guys like Victor Martinez before that as well. But, but during that span, like like Jeremy South, I mean, it, it, the well was dry. It was tough yeah. to. They were not drafting well, and yeah. now it seems like they are because the pipeline keeps producing a, a drafted rookie. Um, really, like four, three of the last four years or so. I mean, Jason Kipnis was drafted by the tribe, and he came up yeah. not too long ago. So For sure. it, it's been very refreshing. Yeah, and even he was a he was a second round pick, but I mean that's still a high investment that's actually turning out. So it, that's really good and refreshing to see. And they faced another uh, draft pick in Drew Pomerantz today. Uh, Pomerantz got the bummer of them. Uh, he he was in the Ubaldo Jimenez trade, um, so he's having success, just not with the tribe. <laughs> I guess that kind of counts, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about it a little bit. You know, it's kind of too little too late with, with drew Pomerantz working out for the tribe but it is uh you know when talking about draft success i mean it, it 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 plays into to that pipeline that they're building for sure yeah and let's not forget Pomerantz was instrumental in getting ubaldo on this team who by the way was instrumental in the last playoff appearance in 2013 he pitched phenomenal from august on and without his effort on the mound they wouldn't have made it because they only eked in by one game the the fifth wild card had to be a tiebreaker between Tampa Bay and Texas, if I remember correctly, and then the uh, Indians want, were one game ahead of them. So, I mean, one little thing would have screwed that all up. So, Ubaldo was definitely instrumental in that. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. All right, Bob. So, last week, as you know, we boycotted a topic on this podcast. Well, LeBron James must have heard us. And said, okay, I don't want to be boycotted on Clay Talk. I'm going to sign. And he did. Thank goodness. Thanks for listening, LeBron. But on a serious note, he did sign a three-year, $100 million deal. So the man's going to get paid a lot of money over the next three years. But here's the key. Two years guaranteed. It's a third-year player option. Two years guaranteed. Bob, you're kind of surprised that he committed beyond one year. Um. Well... You know, maybe this is what actually winning a championship buys. You know, every year he doesn't win. He'll just do a one-year deal, and, and when he does win, it's two years. I, I don't know. I, I I believe that they're just playing the cap game. I, I think, you know, the opt-out is, is for year three, so let's just consider those first two years. First off, he's going to be the highest-paid paid player in the NBA, um, something he's never experienced, something he's obviously deserving of experiencing. You know, if one guy was to be the highest paid player, it should be LeBron James at this point, especially considering what he just did for Cleveland. Um, but with how the cap works and how LeBron is north of 30, um, he could potentially cash in one last time in two years and maximize his worth because he'll still be a, a top tier player and he still won't be... Um, you know, I think it's once you're past 35, the max contract gets a little gets capped, or maybe it's age 37. But he's definitely playing the numbers game and is trying to maximize his worth. That's all I'm making of it. It's great that he's under contract, and I love that he's under contract for more than one year. 
so we don't have to entertain any kind of rumor for two years that he's going to walk away or, or, or is going to hold us hostage to, to make a move. So I love that stuff. But, you know, the actual workings of the deal, I think it's all financial at this point. The other wrinkle here is the CBA that I think the players are going to opt out of this winter. So the 2017 free agent class will be affected by it. I think LeBron's hedging his bets a little bit too. You know, on one hand, it's good to be a free agent that year if things are favorable for the players. But what if the CBA changes things that it's an unfavorable condition? Now he has a built-in year guaranteed at a higher salary. So there is a little uncertainty coming with the market. Now, I think the the money is going to go up because of the influx of television revenue. And I think that, that I don't think he has too much to worry about there. But I also think that he wants a guaranteed year after that CBA is done to read the lay of the land and then have a better chance at capitalizing in 2018 as opposed to being a free agent this year, then having the CBA opt out and having two uh, levels of uncertainty there. So I think there's a little bit of that playing into this as well. Yeah, for sure. That that uncertainty is definitely uh, absolutely a part of it. Um, but I'm glad it got done. And like I said, I'm glad it's for more than a year. So, um, you know, Kevin Love rumors will never stop, but this this core is intact for for two more years straight, which, which is great. Um, you know, we can kind of focus on the team itself now. Okay, so I know we boycotted the J.R. Smith topic, but because we're talking about LeBron, um, there's a report out there saying uh, Steve Kyler of Basketball Insider says that the Cavaliers are the only team Smith has looked at in free agency. They're just working on reaching a deal very refreshing news now get that deal done yeah uh that's not a whole lot surprising to me i think jr smith has found peace in cleveland you know he recently just got married uh, i think he's finally found himself and settled down and is in a perfect situation so it makes sense from his side to only be negotiating with cleveland and it, it makes total sense from Cleveland's side to be negotiating with him um, like we say every episode, I totally expect him to be back. Uh, the big question is just for how much uh, is Cleveland willing to shell out for him? Our boycott lasted one episode, Bob. We're totally undisciplined. Well, it'll last now. It, it's going back in, into place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not talking J.R. Smith again until that deal is inked, until yeah. there's something bigger to report. So we slid that in there because LeBron broke the boycott by signing his, so... It's back on now. But not part of the boycott is Emeka Okafor. Yes, the same Emeka Okafor. Bob, can you believe that there are actually rumors around Emeka Okafor coming to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Uh, yeah, I can believe it just because uh, we've had Larry Sanders rumors. We've had you know Ray Allen rumors that he's coming back and he's only considering Cleveland or Golden State. Um, you know, I feel bad for 28 other teams because already in August – Everyone's just assuming it's going to be Cleveland versus Golden State. I don't really care if Emeka Okafor is on the team or not. He's essentially going to be Sasha Khan if he is. Um, so, you know, if Emeka Okafor is getting meaningful minutes for Cleveland, there's a really big issue going on, is, is what it comes down to. a huge issue if that ends up happening. Um, but, hey, I could look at the bright side. Maybe Emeka Okafor would uh, reclaim something. I don't know. But, yeah, it is truly sad that, that it's, it's a two-team league this year. Well, not if you're a Cleveland or Golden State fan. But why wouldn't you think that? I mean, look at the two rosters. I mean, they've been to the last two finals, 
and Golden State's somehow arguably gotten more talented. I don't want to say better just yet. I want to see how that group gels. They had to give up a lot to get Durant. We'll see. But certainly more talented with Kevin Durant influxing, excuse me, infusing Kevin Durant into that team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's just kind of how it is. It's not just look at those two teams, but look at all the teams around them. You know, Golden State got more talented and took it away took the talent away from one of their chief rivals nobody in the east got better so um how can it not be cleveland and golden state as the favorites they killed oklahoma city i mean by taking kevin durant they didn't just get you know more talented they took out one of their rivals (laughs) i mean they're not going to have to worry about the thunder anymore yeah for sure i don't know victor oladipo is pretty good Oh, he's pretty good. I mean, the Thunder will be in the playoffs, but the Warriors won't worry about him. Yeah, no, for sure. But, oh well. All right, Bob. So there was actual uh, sports being played in Cleveland. Cleveland, Another Cleveland team actually played, Bob. The NFL is back, kind of. Preseason kicked off last weekend, and we got to see RG3 for the first time in a Browns uniform and Bob the first play was awesome did you see did you see any of the game because the first play was one heck of a first impression from RG3 and another guy Terrell Pryor um kind of was ho-hum after that but they made one heck of a first impression for sure I mean how could you start any better than that bomb to to TP I mean that that was great um the rest of his debut was pretty ho-hum you know an interception at the goal line um, not a whole lot to, to really take away from it, but that first play w- was certainly tantalizing. Um, for me, a, one guy stood out and that was Richard Higgins, a wide receiver that they took, uh, late in the draft six foot two. Um, you can just tell that he's uh, got a body type that none of the other Browns wide receivers have. And he basically just posted up the corner and, and caught the touchdown pass from Cody Kessler. That's the only guy that really stood out to me. Um, the rest was it was just a preseason game you know nfl is half back at this point it's there's not back yet oh no it's it's only half back i have really only watched the first quarter um that rg3 throw at the goal line that was the interception i think that was half on gary barnard she should have tried a little bit more aggressively to get to the middle of the field and undercut his defender um so i don't necessarily think that throw was all rg3's fault but yeah after that first play there was clear rust on rg3 um he hadn't started in a year i mean he wasn't the starter last year in washington so there's going to be some rust shaking off but that's why it was so important to name him the starter now so now he has three and if needed four preseason games to really get back into the groove of being a starting quarterback for the record i don't think he should play in week four because he's injury prone enough three games is plenty don't want this guy getting hurt in the preseason but um Terrell Pryor I mean he ran a great route to get open deep that was a fantastic throw one heck of a first impression so if Pryor can step up and be another threat on the outside that just it would be pretty awesome looking at the defensive side though man I was disappointed because a Aaron Rodgers didn't play so it's hard to take much from it and b they still had a little bit of trouble stopping the run when Green Bay starters were in Eddie Lacy kind of ran wild on him a little bit um Again, Green Bay is a really good team, but to me it's hard to take much from the defense when you're not facing Aaron Rodgers uh, at all. 
So and Joe Hayden didn't play, which I can understand why they'd hold him out week one. He just came back. So I not to I, I was I was hoping I'd see a true test on the defensive side. I didn't get that. Aaron Rodgers didn't play and Joe Hayden wasn't on the field. So really, honestly, other than that first impression from RG three and Terrell Pryor, just a preseason game, nothing to get too excited about, but certainly some encouraging signs. Yeah, for sure. Um you're right the the defense wasn't tested but some of those rookies did look really good and i'm looking at carl nassib agba and and joe schobert um they they were kind of all over the field and jamie metter also impressed me as well the the backup nose tackle um yeah no aaron Rodgers, so take what you want of it but with these young guys it's just really nice to see what we actually have and i and i, I like some of those young defensive dudes i i agree with you one thing though is uh, let's just couch this right now. The Browns are going to be relying on a lot of youth on that side of the ball. There's going to be a lot of growing pains in the regular season. Let's just say that. There's going to be some games. I just hope there are enough games where they show flashes and start to gel as the year goes on. Um, then there are disaster games. But but let's just when you're relying on so many young guys, there are going to be growing pains. And I certainly expect a rocky ride but hopefully it's all worth it and it builds to something that we can be confident in by the end of the year yeah for sure i think the defense is much more a work in progress than than what the offense is at um i I think the offense has some actual tangible playmakers some intriguing parts but that defense uh is just a big mess of who what's going to stick and what's not and, and we'll just have to see as the season wears on for sure certainly but some encouraging signs, at least after one preseason game. And uh, hopefully the hopefully the offense settles in and maybe performs a bit above what the expectations are, especially RG3, because uh, that would be nice if the Browns could have some sort of a calling card uh, this year just to give them something to watch. Because that defense, it's not like they're playing in the cupcake division, man. You got Pittsburgh with the crazy offense Cincinnati's offense is pretty good and then Baltimore is just Baltimore so I mean that's six games right there against pretty brutal competition so it's going to be tough sledding for the Browns yeah for sure absolutely um all right well uh let's talk about the other championship team in Cleveland and that's the Lake Erie Monsters making the announcement that they are changing their name from Lake Erie to Cleveland so they'll be the Cleveland Monsters heading into next year uh do you like the move I mean, it's not – it's okay. I, I liked Lake Erie Monsters. It was kind of a play on the Loch Ness Monster, um, so that was fun. It was like a fun little play on words. Um, Cleveland Monsters is fine. I, I understand they wanted to associate with the city more, but, you know, I, I didn't mind Lake Erie Monsters. I think everyone knew uh, what was up there. Yeah, Cleveland Monsters just doesn't sound right to me. Lake Erie Monsters sounded awesome, and I loved I loved the Loch Ness Monster reference. That it just worked a lot better. Cleveland Monsters can be the butt of a lot of jokes, I think, as opposed to Lake Erie Monsters. Oh yeah, certainly. I, I just Lake Erie Monsters just had a little more punch to it. It definitely felt like a better name than Cleveland Monsters. I, I feel like if you were going to name the team Cleveland something, you should have named it with Cleveland in mind it's like you're trying to, you named it the monsters because of the Lake Erie you know what I mean I don't think this team would be named the Cleveland monsters if it was just Cleveland you know what I mean if it was named with Cleveland in mind yeah absolutely for sure 
Another Ohio State player, Bob, making some news. Joey Bosa versus the Chargers. Uh, his mom has come out and said that she wishes they had pulled an Eli with the team. And as you all know, Eli Manning uh, pretty much demanded to be traded. Um, he did not want the Chargers to pick him number one overall. And then he was for Phillip Rivers and Sean Merriman. Worked out for the Chargers, kind of, but the Giants got two Super Bowls out of it. So, uh, Bob, what do you think of this situation in San Diego with Joey Bosa? It's funny because you think that they're arguing just about a number in terms of money, but with the rookie wage scale, it's more about wording in the contract and when exactly bonuses are paid out and how much is included and guaranteed in the bonus. So um, it's not even like a it's a really boring <laughs> argument between Joey Bosa and the Chargers. Um, I understand both sides. I mean, you as a player, you want to maximize your worth as best you can as a franchise. You want to be as cautious as you can, especially with an unproven rookie. So, yeah, it's a standoff. I don't know who's going to break, but it's certainly interesting, especially considering we thought that uh, the last lockout uh, eliminated a lot of the uh, – uh, holdouts that these young rookies high drafted rookies went through um but uh, i guess not <laughs> no certainly i thought the uh, rookie rookie wage scale um say that five times fast by the way uh ended all this stuff but apparently they find something else to argue about i can't see this lasting that long i mean it's not like you can get more money i i, I just you would think cooler heads would prevail and something would get done but Hey, what are you going to do? Um, Bob, talk about another story that we thought was dead. Uh, expansion in college football. Uh, it looks like Big 12 is on the move, on the hunt to find at least two more teams. They have interviewed, allegedly, 17 schools for expansion consideration. Um, certainly doing their homework there, Bob. Uh, what do you think of that, and who do you think would be a good fit? Well, uh, two years too late for the Big 12. I mean, they should have done this a long time ago, at least two years too late, uh, especially considering the playoff that's going on. Um, yeah, they should have gotten on this a long time ago. Um, but I like that they're doing it because, you know, it would eliminate a, a very silly argument in that, you know, the Big 12 conference champion versus the rest of the championship conference teams. It, it's just silly. So I'm glad they're finally doing it. Um, a couple of teams that stick out to me, one Houston, I think, uh, is just deserving of being in a larger conference uh, at the rate they're going. I think that they would be very interesting and it would be a hot pick at the moment. Um, another one for me is Cincinnati because I think that they could um, provide a, a, an interesting recruiting option for the Big 12 in Ohio and you know encroach on what o Ohio State you know, kind of cleans up in. Yeah, I think Cincinnati definitely wants to get into one of those big conferences to maybe get some uh, muscle behind it to – go after some of Ohio State's recruits and that would make sense for West Virginia's standpoint geographically um, you also got maybe Memphis if you're looking to appease West Virginia um, but I think Houston Cincinnati Boise State and BYU are the four that make the most sense for the Big 12 BYU last on that list because there are some other BYU uh, being that the religious institution um, has some rules in place that the Big 12 might not want um, but they certainly bring a good following, and they certainly have a good brand. So I think those four schools bring the most to the table, um, and then Memphis being a, a solid fifth on the list. So depends on if they want to go to 12 or 14, um, but there certainly are plenty of schools out there who would love to join the Big 12. Yeah, definitely, especially considering uh, 
by joining that school, you're eligible for that championship game, which is just more money for everybody. So I'm sure they all love it for sure. Um, all right. Well, we're in uh, well into week two of the Olympics. Chris, what what have you been watching lately? Honestly, none of it. I have watched virtually none of the Olympics. Uh, oh, I watched I watched some of the diving the other day, but that that is actually about it. I have not watched much of the Olympics this year. Kind of crazy. At what state of the pool was the pool in when you were watching diving? Oh, it was green. It was oh. green. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might quit. <laughs> that was just that's a freaky story, man. That that would have freaked me out if I'm a diver. I'm like, really? This is the Olympics? Come on now. Yeah. Well, I think the the biggest news I'm sure that you read was the the women's team losing to Sweden in the quarterfinal, not even going to medal in, in this competition. That happened while I was at work. I was disappointed I didn't see the game. First off, very disappointed with Hope Solo. Did not like her comments. Thought they were in poor taste. But focusing on Sweden, this is a good team. Uh, it's not like they lost to some chump country, uh, but certainly a total shocker that this team, the U.S. women's team, is not even going to be on the podium won't even have a chance to play for a medal. Uh, this is one of the biggest upsets of the Olympics this year. Yeah, it, it's truly shocking. I mean, the the women's team was on such momentum and were trying to be, I think, the first team to to hold the gold medal in the World Cup at the same time, and they were favored to do to do that. Um, a lot of those older players, including Hub Solo, you were thinking that this was probably their last big tournament on on the international stage. Um, and it just didn't work out. You know, it wasn't just the match against Sweden. They, they had some kind of atypical struggles before that. Um, so, so it was certainly interesting. You know, they didn't, they, they almost just lost outright one to nothing. It wasn't, if it weren't for a late goal uh, on, on the American side. Um, and about Hope Solo, you know, it, it's weird because when you think back about everything that, has happened in her career it's a very divisive career and you don't really think of that from you know the the united states women's team but she she's shaping up to be one of the a more controversial sports figure that that we've had in, in our in our pantheon of sports players oh i certainly agree that she's a, a very controversial sports figure um you know she's she's pulled a lot of antics uh, not just her domestic violence but uh, stuff on the field too there was one uh, tournament I believe it was the World Cup where she got benched because of things she did I mean she has had an, a roller coaster career um, but again you know it just it sounds like sour grapes when you say stuff like that 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 the better team didn't win and they played cowardly soccer newsflash defensive soccer has been in the game forever the US men are specialists at it okay it drives the Europeans nuts um, this isn't anything new and when you're the dominant juggernaut like that, you're going to get stuff thrown at you. you got to get through it to win the title. I'm sorry. I, I have no sympathy for the U.S. women's team losing. Um, you know, I, I just – to do it on the Olympic stage like that, to say stuff like that, I just think is in very poor taste. I think that, uh, you know, it, it disappointed me. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think that this is a good development for women's soccer in general because it shows that the game is getting deeper and that there are more teams that are bubbling up that can be true contenders and that the U.S. isn't just going to roll over everyone yeah. because the U.S. women have been dominant since, you know, forever. Um, so yeah. hopefully this is a sign that there's more depth and it'll be more exciting to watch and it'll draw more fans to the sport. So there is a, a brighter 
there's a brighter message for the overall sport, but if you're a U.S. fan, it's obviously very disappointing. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, cer- certainly disappointing. Well, uh, unlike you, I've only been watching the Olympics. I haven't done anything in terms of like a social life <laughs> since the Olympics came <laughs> on. Um, so I've been watching a ton of swimming, uh, a lot of random events. You know, I watched some track cycling. Uh, I watched uh, some badminton, which is funny. Um, for me, my, my favorite highlight so far, um, you know, I talked about her last week, but Simone Biles for sure. Um, Simone Manuel in the pool uh, has had some really great moments for, for, for the sport. Obviously watching Michael Phelps finish it out. Um, and he's just provided some really exciting races uh, to, to rack up even more gold medals. I mean, uh, did you see the face that he was making? With, with Loved the Phelps face. That yeah, was that's awesome. A, it's a great meme. Loved I think it. the... The only thing that is better than the Phelps face is the picture that's circulating that was just taken last night with Usain Bolt. I don't know if you've seen it where he's smiling, it, like while winning the gold, while running the hundred meter gold me- medal race. <laughs> like he's like laughing at everybody. It's it's the most perfect photo, so I, you should definitely check it out. But that was fantastic watching Bolt win it. Um, and then interestingly. Uh, kind of very similar to the, the the women's team you know usa basketball the men's team has had a couple close scares you know a three-point win over france you know blowing a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter and then you know trailing australia in the fourth quarter uh kind of not not the uh the, the the cakewalk we usually expect from those 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 basketball superstars no uh, first off this u.s team is missing some key players uh lebron and steph curry and things like that but but that's no excuse it's loaded but i do think the world is getting deeper and and the the game is getting deeper on a world scale um my bold prediction is that the u.s men will not win gold in basketball this year wow that that's certainly a gold uh, a very bold prediction um i don't know if i could go there yet um, they, they certainly seem to be struggling with the international game. Um, the, the French team, the Australian team, those are really tight groups that, that know how to play together. And there's just really no defense being played by the Americans right now. They can shoot for days. You know, Carmelo and Kyrie, our boy Kyrie, carried the Americans back a- against Australia. And I think they made every single field goal in that fourth quarter except for Kevin Durant's uh, le- late-minute free throws you know they they have the scoring that they just like you said they're missing some key pieces and some of those key pieces are the leaders that you know lebron was on this team they would never lose you know he's just way too good you know kevin durant has all the skills lebron has had but he just hasn't had that experience winning the championship where he can lead this team the way lebron could and i think that that is the biggest difference between this team and the past two teams the other thing I want to mention is Katie Ledecky because I didn't watch her 400 meter live, but I saw it. I love it when uh, I mean she broke her own world record, uh, and I love it when they show the world record line. She was like, you know, five feet in front of that line the whole race. Yeah. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. She destroyed it, and then a meme went around. Katie Ledecky was standing on her own by herself on the gold medal podium and said katie ledecky still waiting for the rest of the field to finish to get her medal i mean she crushed it in the 400 meter meter i mean u.s swimming once again just owning the olympics um so many dominant athletes it's it's been fun to watch yeah she owned all of those distance swims the 400 the 800 and the the thousand um just you know 
smashing her own world records that were, I think, in all of those events. So, yeah, another impressive dominant performance by an American woman for sure. I do like how they cleaned out the diving pool after the competition. That that made no sense. Right. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing in Rio. It's crazy. But Alrighty guys, we have packed a ton into this podcast, so thank you all for listening. A lot of Cleveland sports, a lot of Olympics. Uh sadly the Olympics are ending this week, so uh watch them if you haven't yet. That's mainly for me. I pretty pretty much betting I'm the only person on the planet who hasn't watched much of the Olympics but um, thank you all for listening come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for more content you can subscribe on iTunes search Fenley Road Sports or Clee Talk and then you can follow us on iTunes or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports uh, Clee Talk is presented by Fenley Road Sports so check us out at FenleyRoadSports.com subscribe on iTunes and of course come back next week for more Cleveland Sports Talk here on Clee Talk we'll be back and until then Go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.